0: All right, everybody. It's Monday. We're back. I hope you're back. I hope everyone had a good weekend. It's Monday, August 21st. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu.
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, were you up in Adam early to watch that uh, World Cup finale on Sunday?
1: <laughs> Mosh, I over-promised and under-delivered. I had a wine-tasting Saturday night, which meant... <laughs> I was not getting up early to watch soccer.
0: Actually, I think you had an early preview of the victory because... Spain won the World Cup, Women's World Cup, won nothing. And you pre-celebrated with some famous Spanish wine on Saturday night, I think.
1: That's right. I discovered uh, at the ripe old age of 43 that I happen to love Rioja. It's wine that, for whatever reason, wasn't in my repertoire. I didn't think that this was, like, an embarrassing thing until (laughs) you kind of uh, busted my chops about it before (laughs) the podcast. Like, welcome to the world, Jill.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm by no means a yeah, i'm no my by no means a wine snob but i uh, i think i discovered rioja on a trip to spain a while ago like 20 years ago so i was like oh this is news to you anyway either way it was a very spanish weekend between spain soccer victory your discovery of rioja and uh, a <laughs> sneak peek later in this pod we will be talking about the merits of a spanish uh mediterranean lifestyle so i think that's our theme on this monday
1: all right. And with that, let's get to the headlines. The latest on tropical storm Hillary as it sets its sights on California. On to politics. Donald Trump will be a no show at Wednesday's GOP debate. We've also got some new poll numbers that show who's in second and third place behind the former president. Back to that wild weather. Four hundred fires are raging in Canada. Thousands of people have been forced to evacuate. And in Maui, President Biden sets to visit the island today as the death toll from the fires there continues to climb. Onto the US border with Mexico, illegal border crossings increased in July after dropping sharply in the months prior. And American cities are struggling to handle the influx of migrants. To space, Russia's spacecraft has crashed into the moon, ending its bid to reach the lunar South Pole.
0: Wah, wah.
1: And back here on Earth, the secrets of a Mediterranean lifestyle.
0: You've heard about the diet. The lifestyle is really where it's at, Jill.
1: And Moshe is on this day in history.
0: Jill, we tell you why the Mona Lisa actually became famous. It's due to a uh, interesting theft more than 100 years ago. And the true story of Christopher Robin of Winnie the Pooh fame.
1: All right, let's get to it. Tropical Storm Hillary made landfall over the Baja California Peninsula on Sunday, pelting the area with intense rain and heading toward the U.S. Southwest, where forecasters warned of life-threatening and catastrophic flooding. As of this recording on Sunday evening, we are already getting reports of at least one person killed in that storm in Mexico but this is a very rare event, a tropical storm over the United States Southwest, and meteorologists have been warning people to take this very seriously. Although Hillary had been weakened over the last 48 hours as it neared land, it is still set to be the wettest storm ever to hit the U.S. Southwest. That's according to the National Weather Service. Hillary set to dump vast amounts of water on many parts of the area that are more accustomed to dry conditions. We're talking places like Palm Springs, California, which typically gets about 4.6 inches of rain in an entire year. Well, that area could receive 6 to 10 inches from just this one storm. California's Death Valley, which receives only about 2.2 inches of rain per year, could get about 3 to 4 inches from just this one event. In L.A., the mayor, Karen Bass, urging residents in the city to stay home as the storm passes And we're already hearing about some flooding in inland California just from the outer bands of the storm.
0: Yeah, rain and flooding are the biggest risk from Hillary, with particular risks of the desert, the mountains. Already roads have turned into rivers in Baja, California, and they expect similar impact. We're trying to get those pictures late Sunday night, Jill. From California. A year ago, Death Valley, California saw 1.7 inches of rain. That was actually the rainiest day on record for that area. It caused major floods and forced the closure of all roads in the park, according to the National Park Service. Back in 2014, Phoenix saw massive flooding, You know, cars underwater from three inches of rain. Think about pouring water on a very, very dry sponge. It just trickles off. That's the desert. The desert areas of Arizona, California, uh, Nevada, there can only take about a quarter inch of rain. Otherwise, the rest of it just stays on the surface and the land isn't flat. So it'll flow down to certain areas. The uh, Vegas Strip actually being one of them. They don't have the drainage they need. And so we got a bunch of questions over the weekend saying, how could flooding happen from two inches of rain? Well, meet Southern California. So, Hillary is a big storm. It's roughly the size of the state of Arizona as it moves its way up north. You have to go back to 1939 for the last example of a tropical storm directly hitting Southern California. Of course, this one hit Baja first, so it wasn't a direct impact into L.A., but it's still expected to drop a lot of rain here. So, uh, this is a fast-moving storm, fast-moving situation. We'll keep everyone up to date on what's developing over on the Mo News Instagram account.
1: And, Moshe, as if these storms aren't enough in California, it was a rough weekend. A magnitude 5.1 earthquake shook parts of Southern California on Sunday in Ojai. Um, No reports, though, of, of serious damage or injuries.
0: Yeah, not one plague, but two plagues in Southern California. Ojai, of course, near Santa Barbara, Montecito, a beautiful area. Some people from Ventura County writing and being like, yeah, we had to get involved in the action as well up here in Ventura. <laughs> so uh, let's let's hope that uh, God holds back on the locusts or any other plagues for Southern California over these next couple days. All right, let's talk politics. We're just about 48 hours away from the first
1: Republican presidential debate on Wednesday night. And as expected, Donald Trump will be a no show. Trump writing on Truth Social, the public knows who I am and what a successful presidency I had. I will therefore not be doing the debates, in all caps, he wrote. Uh, his spokesperson didn't immediately clarify whether he plans to boycott every primary debate or just those that have already been scheduled. We did get a sense Sunday, though, of the major challenge that Republican candidates not named Donald Trump have ahead of them. This new poll from CBS News out this weekend shows the former president now has his largest lead over his rivals, despite or maybe because of his recent legal troubles. In fact, most of his voters say that those troubles are one of the reasons that they're going to support him. According to that poll out on Sunday, Trump has 62 percent of the likely GOP primary vote DeSantis is trailing at 16%. That is a 46-point lead over the Florida governor. The rest of the field is in single digits. Vivek Ramaswamy, he is in third with 7% of support. Former Vice President Mike Pence has about 5%. And Senator Tim Scott is at 3%. And Moshe, as I mentioned before, about 73% of Trump voters uh, say that his legal fights are actually one of the reasons for considering Trump. Now, 61 percent of the likely GOP primary voters also believe that Trump has the best chance of beating President Biden compared with 35 percent for DeSantis. That is a decrease from June when 50 percent said that DeSantis definitely would beat the incumbent president. Now, as for the debate in Milwaukee on Wednesday night, the poll suggests Trump is protected from the attacks from his opponents. Finding around nine in 10 or 91% of GOP primary voters would prefer that the former president's opponents focus on making the case for themselves instead of going against Trump. We're looking at you, Chris Christie. So right now, eight candidates have qualified for the debate, but again, Trump is skipping it. So it appears that just seven will be on stage. A few more are trying to qualify by tonight. Trump, meanwhile, doesn't want more attention on the rest of the field, and he's going to be looking to do an interview with former Fox host Tucker Carlson, who had been fired. He's looking to do that during the debate. So basically an extra shot at Fox News, uh, which is putting on the debate.
0: Yeah, Fox News executives have been trying to meet with him, begging him to uh, appear at the debate. It appears now officially over the weekend, not going to do it and, gonna do, and potentially counter program with uh, their least favorite anchor. Who they fired just a few months ago So it appears there'll be seven on stage Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy Tim Scott, Chris Christie Doug Burgum, the uh, governor of North Dakota Who uh, gave people $20 gift cards In order to qualify And former VP Mike Pence Three more say they're qualified We'll find out later today from Fox That includes Miami Mayor Francis Suarez A one-time CIA spy And former Republican Congressman Will Hurd of Texas And former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson Looking to be on the stage as well. Chris Christie trying his best to call Trump basically a chicken uh, to get him on stage. It does not appear to be working. It will be fascinating to watch this. Uh, This will take place 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern time, Wednesday night. We'll have coverage on the Instagram account. I'll actually be doing live streaming coverage on uh, our premium account, Jill. I did this a bit during the State of the Union earlier this year where I watched it along with the audience and tried to give people commentary insight as, that uh, that say, the union was happening. Uh, this go around, we're going to try it over on the premium Insta uh, with the presidential debate. So make sure you're a member, you're signed up, and you're following the premium account. You can do that over at mo.news slash premium. We're also, by the way, Jill, putting together a bingo card uh, for the debate, a realistic one and a fun one. So look out for that as well. But back to that poll regarding Trump, uh, looking at the numbers a little deeper. So you noted 62 percent, nearly two thirds of Republican primary voters nationally say uh, they'll vote for him right now. When you break out those numbers, 32 percent are not considering other candidates, meaning 32 percent are his voters. Then you have about 30 percent who say they're still looking at other candidates, which means Trump has a floor of 32 percent which means you basically need everyone in the field except for one or maybe two to drop out for anyone else to have a chance at him, uh, given the floor he has here. One of the other notable numbers that came out and certainly got a lot of reaction on our Instagram account was asking Trump voters who they trust for reliable information. They found that Trump voters looked to him 71% for reliable and truthful information, more than their family and friends, which is about six out of 10 Trump voters, and more than religious leaders and other folks in their life. So pretty remarkable, the sense of trust that Trump voters continue to have in him. uh, And that comes despite, or as you noted, uh, and the poll notes, because of the legal issues, they view him as a victim here, being victimized, and feel like they need to have his back. And it comes, Jill, as an interesting case was made over the weekend by Michael Luddig, he might be familiar to some folks as a former federal appellate judge, a prominent conservative, uh, very close to Bush, very a longtime Republican, and former supporter of the president. He came out over the weekend and argued that the 14th Amendment of the Constitution should disqualify former President Trump from ever returning to be president. He called for secretaries of state and officials across the country at the state level to look at the 14th Amendment before they determine whether Trump is qualified. To be on the ballot, for those unfamiliar, the 14th Amendment uh, is in the Constitution and has a provision that excludes from future office anyone who is engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort to enemies of the U.S. government. Just last week, two members of the Federalist Society, that's another very conservative legal organization, uh, also put out a law review article to this effect uh, saying that, you know, at the state level, uh, secretaries of state could determine that Trump might not be qualified given what he's been accused of, given what's happened, given that he's facing that one but two indictments just related to election interference. Uh, and Luddig and, and the others say there that uh, they wouldn't be surprised if this gets determined at the Supreme Court in terms of uh, Trump's qualifications and whether he actually qualifies to be on the ballot here. So that's something for people to be able to look out for.
1: Mosh, we've got a lot to get to in this podcast, but we want to talk about a new partner that we have that is amazing for everyone with a small business out there or those who are ready to launch their own startup. How does this sound make you feel?
0: Like I'm rich, (laughs) Joe.
1: Well, that is the sound (laughs) of a sale using Shopify. If you're a business owner, you're always looking for a solution to get your product to as many people as possible. Well, Shopify is the commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're an entrepreneur making your way on Facebook Marketplace or even IPO-ready, Shopify is the only tool that you really need to start, run, and grow your business without a struggle. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify is the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. We hope to have some Mo News merch pretty soon, and we'll be looking to launch it on Shopify, cool mugs, shirts, et cetera. Well, right now there is a special deal for the Mo News community. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Mo News. That's all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Mo News to take your business to the next level today.
0: All right, now for one of our long-time partners here at Mo News, AG1, Athletic Greens' uh, daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports full-body health. I started drinking it last year. I've talked to friends about AG1. Uh, one described it as nutritional insurance, meaning if you have AG1 In the morning, you know you're covered for the day in terms of all your nutrients that your body needs. It's just one scoop of the AG1 powder with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, it's quick, and it ensures you get over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, pre-probiotics and for your gut health. Some in the Mo News community have told us it's helped them with mood support, boosted their energy. Uh, They've actually seen their skin and hair look healthier. So right now with your first purchase of AG1 Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin d and five free travel packs of the ag1 powder you can visit right now drinkag onecom slash monews that is DrinkAG with the number one.com slash monews to take advantage of the offer you can get a discounted monthly subscription you can try it just one time for one month again drinkag one the number one.com slash monews for this special deal
1: All right, time now for the speed read. We've got some weather news. We're watching the fire situation in the Northwest United States and also Canada. So from the BBC, about 30,000 households have been ordered to evacuate in Canada's British Columbia province, where nearly 400 wildfires are raging. So two huge fires merged over the weekend, destroying blocks of houses and other buildings To the south, travel to the waterside city of Kelowna has been restricted and smoke from nearby fires hangs over nearby lakes. Fires have charred homes in another city of about 36,000 and hundreds of miles north. A huge fire continues to edge towards the city of Yellowknife, which we told you about on Friday. An official deadline to evacuate that city, which is the capital of Canada's Northwest Territories, That lapsed on Friday, a local official saying later that day that nearly all the residents had left, either by car or by plane. The head of emergency management saying that evacuation is a matter of life and death, not just for the people in those properties, but also for the first responders who will often have to go back to try to implore people to leave. One resident telling the BBC that the fires came over the mountainside like, quote, an ominous cloud of destruction.
0: Yeah, one of the things that came up with the weekend in terms of communicating uh, all of this, Jill, is the fact that Facebook right now, Meta, uh, is banning news, uh, Canadian news outlets, and Canadians from seeing news on Facebook and Instagram, the Canadian government saying over the weekend, please lift that ban. This all has to do with a separate issue. Canada passed a new law trying to mandate that Google and Meta uh, basically pay a new tax to local news outlets. Meta responded by eliminating news from the platform. So, That's a side story to all of this. Meanwhile, Canada is having its worst season on record, at least a thousand fires burning across the country. Many of those fires in very unpopulated areas. But of course, you mentioned the fires down in Kelowna, uh, in British Columbia, as well as Yellowknife uh, that are destroying dozens and dozens of homes. It was a record dry spring in Canada, uh, high temps, and that has really led to this explosion in fires. Uh, officials there blaming a whole number of contributing factors including lackluster force management as well as climate change here there are firefighters from a number of countries that are helping the canadians here but keep in mind canada second largest country on earth behind russia it is a lot of land to cover and again many of these places very uninhabited and uh, hard to get to although no deaths have been reported in the latest canadian fires at least four firefighters have lost their lives so far
1: Meanwhile, in Washington state, officials issued a statewide emergency proclamation Saturday after a wildfire continued to spread through Spokane County, leaving at least one person dead and destroying more than 185 buildings in its wake. The Gray Fire started in Washington around noon Friday, prompting evacuations and had burned through nearly 11,000 acres by Sunday morning threatening the communities of Medical Lake and Four Lakes so we're watching several fires across eastern and central Washington state today
0: and now to Hawaii President Biden will be traveling to Maui later today alongside the first lady to view the damage from the wildfires there that devastated much of the coastal town of Lahaina on the island and killed more than 114 people. Tomorrow marks two weeks since those wildfires. They've been mostly contained, but they are still burning to a certain extent on the islands there. Officials on the island over the weekend say their house-by-house searches are now about 85% complete. There's up to a 1,000 people still unaccounted for, but even state officials say they don't have a great count, that many people were reunited but then didn't follow up With the state. So it's hard for them to cross everyone off the list. They still have about 15% of the homes of Lahaina to go through. Uh, Those homes' bodies very sadly reduced to ash. So they have dozens of cadaver dogs trying to go through all of it. It has made IDing bodies uh, challenging. They have been asking for people, uh, loved ones of the missing, to uh, give DNA samples so they can try to do uh, some matches there. Keep in mind when you look at these deadly fires, the most recent fire that was the deadliest uh, in modern American history until this Maui fire was the one in Paradise, uh California, just about five years ago. In Northern California, there, they were still IDing victims months after that fire, just because of how long this process takes, tracking down the initial people who were missing, crossing people off the list. And to some of the questions I'm getting from some of you, that's one of the reasons why this is gonna take a long time in Maui.
1: Now to the latest on the border from Reuters arrests for illegally crossing the U.S. border for Mexico soared 33 percent from June to July, according to U.S. government figures released Friday. That reverses course after a plunge that followed the introduction of new asylum restrictions back in May. President Biden's administration still insisting that its carrot and stick approach of expanding legal routes while imposing more punitive measures on those who enter illegally is working. It noted that illegal crossings were still down about 27 percent from last year and were well below the days that preceded the new immigration rules. The increase from June to July was driven by a larger presence of families traveling with children, nearly doubling to more than 60,000 arrests.
0: So up from the previous month, down from the previous summer. So everyone wants to look at the numbers that uh, tend to reinforce their arguments. As far as the specific numbers here, the Border Patrol stopped migrants 133,000 times in July along the U.S. southern border. That is up from 100,000 stops in June, but down from 182,000 stops last July. Now, crossings were widely expected to increase when those pandemic-related asylum restrictions ended in May, but they fell, actually. Uh, Just after that, the Biden White House initially taking credit there that some of their new measures were effective. The U.S. is facing a lot of pressure from migration from South America which had dropped initially in the spring, but was back up. Through the first six months of this year, nearly 250,000 migrants have crossed an area called the Darien Gap down in Panama that is a jungle-clad route separating Panama and Colombia. Very dangerous become extremely popular as you've now seen millions of Venezuelans leave their country as that nation has fallen apart. Uh, you also have Ecuadorians. Uh, there's a lot of instability down there. Also, Haitians who make their way to South America and then go a land landbound through Central America. Also, there are migrants who come all the way from Asia and Africa to South America again and then travel by foot across the Darien Gap up through Central America up through Mexico. And that's part of the huge issue the U.S. is facing on its border.
1: And it comes as cities across the U.S. are struggling to deal with the surge in migrants. New York City's largest relief center for migrants opens Sunday on Randall's Island, where officials say there will be enough space for up to 3,000 new arrivals. The tent facility is designed to house adult asylum seekers. And its opening comes as city officials report more than 100,000 migrants have passed through New York City. Since last year, about 58,000 of whom remain in the city's care. City officials have deployed buses to help transport people who are staying in the tents between the island and Manhattan or Queens and said that security guards will be stationed at the space around the clock.
0: So New York officials are estimating they'll spend about $4 billion in housing and services for the new migrants by the end of next year. The mayor of New York, Eric Adams, has been complaining about the White House, the lack of assistance financially and logistically, that uh, federal officials are giving New York City. He's also calling on the White House to grant work authorization to the new arrivals. Right now, they're not allowed to work, so they can actually provide for themselves, and it's not New York taxpayers doing so.
1: From the AP, a Russian spacecraft crashed into the moon after it spun into an uncontrolled orbit. This is according to the country's space agency. The Luna 25 pilotless spacecraft was aiming to be the first ever craft to land on the south pole of the moon, an area where scientists believe that there could be important reserves of frozen water and precious elements. It had been expected to land today. The country's space agency releasing a statement saying that the apparatus moved into an unpredictable orbit and ceased to exist as a result of a collision with the surface of the moon. The Luna 25 was in a race with an Indian spacecraft, which had been launched on July 14th, they were looking to be the first to reach the South Pole. The Indian craft is taking a longer route and is set to try to land on the South Pole of the moon on Wednesday.
0: So the Indians actually crashed one into the moon a couple years ago, so we wish them luck this week with take two. That lunar mission by the Russians was actually the first time the Russians have launched a moon mission since 1976. That's back when it was the Soviet Union. Only three governments, by the way, have successfully uh, conducted moon landings. That's uh, the U.S., China... And of course, the Soviet Union back in the day, but of course, the US, the only one to land people on the moon. The moon launch here is a pet project of President Vladimir Putin, a key to his arguments about making Russia a space superpower again and competing against the West. And you mentioned the lunar South Pole of particular interest. The idea is. That there's ice there that's frozen water that future explorers can use to transform into air oxygen that we can breathe and rocket fuel the theory is that we can build bases on the south pole of the moon that can be self-sustainable off that frozen ice and then we can then launch missions to mars from there so we're going to watch the indians on wednesday the us is set to land people back on the moon in the next few years uh, actual humans not just a rover like the russians and indians And that's something we'll watch the Artemis mission in the coming years. Uh, Though keep in mind, we're using a refurbished rocket. We got a few questions uh, on the Instagram from people who are saying, wait, we used to land on the moon. Why is it so hard now? And I'm like, well, it's a couple things, but mainly we don't want to spend as much money anymore. Uh, We lost institutional knowledge for like not doing it for 40 years. uh, And uh, people just have less of a threshold. We were willing to take many more risks back then in terms of people's lives and money, Uh, And these days we are not. So we're trying to do this thing on the cheap this go around, folks.
1: From the San Francisco Chronicle, the self-driving car company Cruise agreed to slash its driverless taxi operation in San Francisco by half on Friday, following reports of two separate crashes involving its vehicles. The California DMV said in a statement that it's investigating recent concerning incidents involving cruise vehicles. The company agreed to no more than 50 driverless vehicles in operation during the day and 150 driverless vehicles in operation at night. And it comes just a week after the California Public Utilities Company gave the robotic car company, along with Alphabet's Waymo, the green light to operate hundreds of driverless taxis 24-7 in the city And that was despite concerns from emergency responders.
0: And they looked like they were prescient because then days later, last Thursday, two cruise robo-taxis were involved in separate collisions, including one with a fire truck. The cruise taxi apparently didn't yield to a fire truck that was making its way um, through the intersection. And that led to an injury for the person riding inside the crew's robotaxi. Cruise saying in a statement that its vehicle entered the intersection and had the green light, uh, but didn't detect in enough time that emergency vehicle that was on uh, route to uh, a situation. Cruz says that buildings in the area make it difficult for humans and AVs alike to spot objects around the corner until they're close to the intersection. Cruz made a point of saying there have been more than 100,000 good interactions between the robo taxis and the fire truck, but there have been several dozen incidents, and that was one of the major issues the first responders were saying, is that uh, these cars are still not ready for unpredictable situations. They know all the traffic rules, they know the speed limits, but when it comes to Something jumping into the road, uh, an emergency vehicle where we're all as humans programmed to stop immediately. The cruise cars aren't quite ready for that. Uh, and that's something that uh, the folks at Cruise, which, by the way, is owned by General Motors, appear to be working on here as they try to get all their cars back on the road. But
1: this is why it's so tricky, because they can't really improve their AI without testing them on real roads but at the same time you don't necessarily yeah. want to test them on real roads because what if if people get hurt
0: there's that there's also a major traffic jam last week when the wi-fi went down when the wireless signal went down so you had a bunch of cruise cars you might have seen videos on social media of this just blocking the intersection and people honking and you're like you know you're honking at a robo car there's no person <laughs>
1: that can i feel that. like that's got to be so frustrating at least if there's someone in there you're like all right they hear me uh but to just be honking at nobody.
0: There was an incident that came up during one of these hearings uh, of a uh, one of these robo-cabs uh, riding over one of the hoses as uh, people are trying to put out a fire and one of the uh, firemen actually breaking the window of the robo-car getting in there to like hit the brakes on the car. So there are arguments on both sides here, Jill, because still many Californians die every day on the roads there and the argument from Waymo and these other companies are that robo-cars, they don't get drunk, they will be much safer in the end. But it appears, uh, you know, those of you in Northern California have to be the uh, guinea pigs for now as they uh, get these cars up to par.
1: I can't even imagine what they would be like on uh, the streets of Manhattan.
0: Can you imagine New Yorkers with a robocar? Like, no. People are just, no. I mean, already there have been incidents out in the West Coast where apparently it, it went around that if you stick a traffic cone on the car, it freaks out the car and it stops the car. And I guess a lot of people are doing it to the poor cars. So can you imagine New Yorkers messing with these cars?
1: Because people in New York don't follow the rules of the road, especially pedestrians. I don't know any, so much yes, jaywalking. I don't know anybody who doesn't jaywalk. I feel like that is a nightmare for driverless cars.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're going to definitely need version 10.0, 20.0, 30.0 before you bring these to New York. All right,
1: from Insider, you've probably heard about the Mediterranean diet as the secret to a long life. Well, how about the Mediterranean lifestyle? OK, having this lifestyle, even if you don't live in the Mediterranean, could reduce your chances of dying, including from cancer and cardiovascular disease, according to a new study. So the Mediterranean diet has long been lauded as the gold standard of healthy eating. It emphasizes vegetables, fruits, whole grains, olive oil, fish, as well as wine in moderation.
0: Jill, it's that Rioja <laughs> you're just talking about. That's, a Mediterranean right there.
1: That's what it's all about, the Mediterranean diet and uh, minimal amounts of red meat highly processed and fried foods, refined grains, sugar, and saturated fat. So a Mediterranean lifestyle is more than just the diet, though. It involves eating with loved ones and taking the time to savor food, resting and sleeping enough, maintaining strong social connections, and exercising regularly. This is according to the authors of the study published by the Mayo Clinic Proceedings, Researchers found that adults in the UK who lived a Mediterranean lifestyle had a 29% lower risk of dying from any cause and a 28% lower risk of dying from cancer than those who didn't. People who adhered to the lifestyle's emphasis on rest, exercise, and socializing with friends in particular had a lower risk of dying from cardiovascular disease. It's all about the social relationships.
0: Yes, and the shorter way of saying this is eat your fish, eat your beans eat your olive oil, and don't work too hard. Everyone just take a deep breath like those good folks in the Mediterranean. So this study apparently looked at nearly 111,000 people between the ages of 40 and 75 from a population-based study in the UK. The participants were scored according to whether they followed the Mediterranean-style diet, how they ate, such as limiting salt, drinking healthy beverages, as well as their social habits. Nine years later, 4,200 of the participants had died, 2,400 from cancer, 730 from cardiovascular disease. The researchers found that those who followed the Mediterranean lifestyle most closely, particularly the third category, exercise, rest, social habits, had the lowest risk of death. So that resting part appears to be key. What people like to call the mid-afternoon siesta in Spain, uh, they have names for it across the region, prioritizing sleeping six to eight hours a night. You know, oftentimes in the middle of the day, if you're ever a tourist, if you're an American and traveling abroad there and you try to check out shops in uh, Greece or in Italy in the middle of the day, They'll be closed for lunch for a couple hours. That's that midday siesta. I think uh, it's time for us to adopt this at Mo News.
1: How do you know that I'm already not adopting it at Mo News?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No Instagram post between noon and 3 p.m. moving forward, folks. I'm officially adopting the Mediterranean lifestyle.
1: Moshe, at the Mo News Long Island Bureau, we do a siesta. And now we're going to have Rioja in the afternoons. Uh, And then podcasts are going to be a lot more interesting.
0: Joe, we do have a couch at Monu's headquarters in Brooklyn over at the WeWork. All right, now time for On This Day in History. We're going to begin in 1911. On this day in history, Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre by three Italian handymen. It was actually not recovered until two years later, but the media sensation of the stolen painting from the Louvre is actually what made the Mona Lisa as famous as it is. That's what led to the lines led to the obsession with it until 1911 it wasn't really thought of as one of da vinci's best jill have you been to the louvre to see it since they returned it back
1: in (laughs) i have but it was 25 years ago (laughs) and i remember being happy that i was seeing the mona lisa in person but also thinking like what's the big hype about
0: apparently the big hype was it was stolen 100 plus years ago and uh, the hype continues to this day standing in line some people for hours to see what is, by the way, a pretty small painting. That was one of the things that struck me. is way smaller than I thought it was. All right, my other favorite on this day today, on this day in 1920, a boy by the name of Christopher Robin was born. The name would be immortalized by his father, A.A. A. Milne, who wrote the book Winnie the Pooh. So when Christopher Robin was about one, he received a stuffed bear as a present. The child soon accumulated a collection of similar animals, which inspired his dad to begin writing a series of stories about the toys. And so there you have it Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin, based on the real life story of uh, the author's son. And I didn't realize this Christopher Robin, the real one, lived until the year 1996. The mo, you know, (laughs) Joel. It's true. All right. On this day in 1959, and you know how much I love the Hawaii history right now, Hawaii became a state August 21st, 1959. We did a deep dive over on the uh, Mo News premium Instagram account last week about the whole history of Hawaii, the kingdom, how the U.S. took it in a coup against the government there. It's a fascinating, uh, complicated uh, and at times very sad history. Uh, you can check that all out over at the Mo News Premium account if you sign up over at Mo.news.
1: The one question I got wrong on the Mo News end of the week news quiz.
0: Right. We have a Mo News quiz over on the premium account as well. Jill, very disappointed to see that you weren't <laughs> following the history segment this week. Now
1: I have
0: the time of my life. All right, and finally. You recognize that music? On this day in history, 36 years ago, Dirty Dancing, starring Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Gray, premiered in theaters. Jill, I've dug up a bunch of fun Dirty Dancing facts for you. Are you ready? Yes. Please. All right. So number one, the film's title was almost changed to I Was a Teenage Mambo Queen because (laughs) Dirty Dancing caused authorities (laughs) in Canada to think that it was a porn film.
1: I thought you were going to say it was almost changed to I carried a watermelon, but I, I was a teenage oh, Mambo <laughs> Queen is a terrible name. Dirty Dancing is is so much better.
0: There was actually going to be rated R and they tried to bring it down because remember there's, I mean, there's some, you know, uh, pretty adult themes in the film, but Dirty Dancing stuck, thankfully, despite what the Canadians thought, the, it, by the way, Dirty Dancing, not a porn for those of you who somehow haven't seen it. All right. Second fun fact about Dirty Dancing, Patrick Swayze almost turned it down because he had a serious knee injury sustained during his Broadway days. His resume even read, no dancing. And so he was very concerned that he would actually be able to play the part. They were actually looking at Val Kilmer for the part at the time.
1: Couldn't imagine that movie without Patrick Swayze.
0: By the way, Swayze was 37 when he shot that film. Feels younger, right?
1: He does, Moshe, and that actually makes me happy because I feel like I always find out that actors that I think are my age are, like, 20 or 21. So this is actually refreshing.
0: Good. Um, All right, as far as Jennifer Grey, she was cast as Baby, of course. Uh, They looked at dozens and dozens and dozens of people for that role, including, before her, Sarah Jessica Parker and Winona Ryder.
1: So I actually think that Sarah Jessica Parker would have been okay in that role. Jennifer Grey was Baby, and she was perfect, but but I think Sarah Jessica Parker could have bolted off.
0: All right, two more fun facts for you. The scene in which Baby keeps laughing as Johnny, as Patrick Swayze, runs his fingers down her arm was apparently unscripted because it turned out in real life, Grey was very ticklish, and Swayze's annoyance was actually real because they were not supposed to do that as a re- repeated scene. And finally, Dirty Dancing almost didn't get made. The MGM executive, Linda Gottlieb, who pitched it to everyone in Hollywood, was rejected 43 times for the film. She finally goes to a a small company called Vestron, uh, which at the time was just a straight to video uh, company. And they give her $4.5 million to shoot a movie, which, by the way, is a very tiny amount. In fact, they couldn't even afford to shoot it in the area where it's set in the Catskills of New York. They went to a rural area of North Carolina to shoot Dirty Dancing.
1: That I knew because I watched kind of like a behind the making of the movie. Um, But I I never had heard about the
0: the, the title title, about being a teenage Mambo Queen. We endeavor to make everyone smarter here at Mo News. (laughs) Quiz your friends. I was a teenage mambo queen. Have you seen it? It involves carrying a watermelon.
1: <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, big thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. We'd really appreciate it. It will help us grow. It will make you look smart. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And review us in the App Store.
0: And stay tuned for ongoing coverage of those fires, ongoing coverage of uh, Tropical Storm Hillary as well as politics this week. And a reminder, if you like what we're doing here, you can support us over at Mo News Premium and get access to that extra Instagram account, extra podcast, where we will be having that live coverage of the debate uh, Wednesday night over at mo.news slash premium. All right, bye everyone. Later.
1: Thanks for listening to the Mo News
0: Podcast.